Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hey everyone, welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com. It's our final podcast before the draft, which is coming up next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on MLB.com and MLB Network. So there is obviously a lot going on. The top 200 draft prospects is out on MLBPipeline.com. Make sure you check that out. Uh, Jonathan and Jim have a draft buzz section going on Pipeline where you can kind of read the latest happenings on specific players. So check that out as well. We're going to kind of start in that area, Jonathan, because one of the buzz notes is that uh, Hunter Green is going to spend some time Friday in Minnesota with the Twins. And that kind of ties into a feature story you have on the site right now about Hunter Green in general and for people that are on Pipeline a lot and on MLB.com. We had Hunter Green in my own words where we heard a lot from Hunter Green about himself. Jonathan has Hunter Green from a lot of other people's perspective, whether it be his coach, teammates, uh, summer teammates, uh, people he's looked up to, big leaguers. It goes all around. It's really good. So definitely check that out. And, And speaking to all these people, Jonathan, did anything stand out to you or maybe surprise you that you hadn't thought about with Hunter Green before doing all the interviews? Not really. I think it just kind of further cemented. The takeaways I had gotten from the time I got to spend with him was that he seems like a just a really good kid with a really good head on his shoulders who's very focused and directed. And, you know, I think as I've discussed before, I went into, you know, going to, to visit uh, with uh, him and his family that I uh, the skeptic in me – was half expecting it to be a little too much, a little too programmed, that it wasn't like that. So I think hearing from other people, from all other, you know, from different parts of his life, times in his life, uh, just kind of cemented that, you know, uh, not that I would think a 17-year-old would know how to flip a switch on and off, you know, with the media, although he's pretty savvy. Hearing, you know, other people, hearing Dominic Smith rave about what a good kid he was when, you know, that that interview was done in a vacuum, you know, it, it it wasn't, you know, anything that was set up or part of a larger thing, you know, um, teacher raving about him, um, you know, and I t- we talked to his art teacher at length. So I think all of those things kind of just cemented that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about makeup for, for players and uh, especially when you're being considered at the very top of the draft because of the amount of dollar figures. Um, I think, however, you're going to evaluate, Hunter Green and where he goes in the draft, uh, his, his character and his makeup is, is not going to be uh, an issue at all. 
I thought one quote that was really funny, you never know what you're going to get from other high school kids and players. <laughs> Nick Allen is in the story, and he says, now he makes it clear. He says, you know, I faced him. It was over a year ago, and he wasn't throwing the way he is now. But he said, yeah, he throws hard, but he throws pretty straight. <laughs> Jim, I thought that was funny. Uh, is there any truth to that from Nick Allen, that that 100-mile-per-hour that fastball sometimes comes in straight? Well, I mean, if you're throwing 100 miles an hour <laughs> – you're going to be throwing a four-seamer. I don't know anybody, even Hunter Green has got an amazing arm who's throwing a 100-mile-an-hour two-seamer. <laughs> and the harder you throw, the the most, the more it usually straightens out. All that said, it's still probably pretty hard to hit. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think with any of these guys who throw exceptionally hard, you usually hear, you know, the fastball is a little bit better at not quite peak velocity where it might have a little bit more life and a little bit more command. Yeah, and, and uh, Alan went on to say that he was a really good teammate with him and, and said nice things about him. It did, that just was kind of funny to me, Jonathan, and you pointed out that Nick Allen is just, he's an honest high school kid. It was just kind of speaking what he had seen, and as right. I said, over about a year ago, really, when he faced him. Yeah, I mean, it, it did stand out a little bit because it was not the, it was the only sort of not like uh, he walks on water kind of uh kind of reaction to, to Hunter Green, uh, which is fine. Um, it certainly wasn't overly critical, but aside from the few stuff being straight, he likes to keep to himself sometimes. I'm like, okay, that's the worst of your worries, then I think you're in good shape. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jim, the other thing I mentioned is that uh, Hunter Green's going to be in Minnesota, and a lot of people, it seemed like the thought was that the Twins weren't going to go in that direction, but if he is going to be visiting the team this close to the draft, he's certainly still in the discussions very much so, right? I mean, that means that the Twins have not moved on from Hunter Green in any way. I will play devil's advocate just okay. based on working on another mock and talking to other teams who are picking behind the Twins very close at the top and trying to monitor uh, all the tea leaves. Uh, there's, you know, A couple weeks ago, the suspicion was that the Twins were probably going to choose between Kyle Wright and Brendan McKay and that they wouldn't take Hunter Green at, at 1-1. I've heard from a number of teams the last couple of days as I'm trying to work on this new mock, they think the Hunter Green in Minnesota is all just a smoke screen. They think, depending on who you talk to, the Twins are still looking at probably five guys and maybe even a sixth candidate if they decide to cut a deal. And it's in any team's best interest as you get this close to the draft and you hold the number one pick or a high pick to, uh, you know, make it seem like you're undecided and you have a number of different directions you could go in because it gives you a little bit more leverage over any of the individual players. So I, I don't think they're totally out. Like, I, I don't think they would waste Hunter Green's time if there was a 0% chance that they would pick him. But I, I don't feel any more, you know, confident that they will pick Hunter Green than I did a couple weeks ago. I, nobody at the top of the draft really thinks that Hunter Green is going to be the guy for the Twins. If nothing else, it certainly adds some intrigue in the final week of the draft. Uh, how many of these players, Jonathan, do you have an idea how many of these players have actually visited the Twins, have gone out to Minnesota? Not too many. They don't, they're not big on the bringing guys in for private workouts. It's just not something they do. Now, they may, you know... It, have a guy come Florida, you know, and, and work out there and things like that. But they don't bring a lot of guys to to uh, to Minnesota. Um, you know, they brought Carlos Correa in um, back in 2012. Uh, it was it was supposed to be Correa and Buxton, but uh, Buxton couldn't come because they were having a parade for for him and his team 
for winning the state championship that day. So he didn't make it for a private workout. Um, but uh, but that's that's the exception rather than the rule. So they they're, they don't they're not bringing a lot of guys, and especially because you know the main guys that they are considering are college guys who are still playing. Uh, that's not even a possibility. Uh, so, and you know, and, and I want to be clear <laughs> because uh, I kind of got into this a little bit on Twitter after that note went up. In, in no way, shape, or form did I, you know, was I writing that to mean oh they're they're taking Hunter Green. Uh, or that he had you know, moved up in terms of where they're con- you know, where they're considering him. I think all it says is that uh, those who thought said that they had, they had officially moved on or had c- crossed them off their list but are wrong. Um, and I know for a fact that they're wrong. You know, the, you know, he he may not be in Group One. Uh, I'm working on a story that's going to run over the weekend on on handicapping the the number one picks, kind of refreshing a story from a while ago. And I, and I agree. I, I think that. Uh, Kyle Wright and Brendan McKay are kind of in group one. And it looks like the high schoolers, Hunter Green and Royce Lewis, are like 1A or group two. And then Mackenzie Gore and Paven Smith, who hasn't completely been ruled out as a, you know, make a deal and spend money aggressively with their picks in the 30s kind of pick, are in that third group. And so there's still the six guys. Uh, and they are all about, you know, uh, and, and Jim, you probably have heard this and talking to people with the twins. I've heard the term due diligence. Many times, yeah. I, uh, I chuckle because yes, I've heard that term as well. Yeah. And, and I want to—I want to say too—I'm not suggesting that the twins are wasting people's time or jerking kids around. I think the twins are looking at this like, look, we've got the number one pick. We're going to vet every one of these guys very carefully. I, I was just going to chime in. You know, Mackenzie Gore is in Minnesota today. I don't think he's going to throw for the Twins, but he's meeting with the Twins today too. And as Jonathan said, you, you can't bring Kyle Wright in. You can't bring Brendan McKay in. Um, so it's, it's, I think sometimes people, by people I mean fans, read too much into somebody making a visit or having a private workout with a team or, hey, Theo Epstein was spotted at so-and-so's game. I mean, for any of those situations, it's going to be multiple players for each team that the GMCs or you bring in for workouts if you can or, or you really bear down on, and they obviously can only draft one guy. So. I agree with what uh, with what Jonathan said. You know, the, 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 the note is newsworthy that he's that Green is going to be in Minnesota. Just from the standpoint of, you know, while I still don't think people behind the Twins feel like they'll take Green, that there's obviously a chance, or you wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't waste their time doing it too. And it, but it's funny. I mean, you know how Twitter is, Jonathan. I mean, you write something and uh, it gets kind of pulled in, you know, different directions or reshaped, and it's not even what you originally reported. All right, Right. we're going to have more on this draft, including the guys that are still playing in the Super Regionals, and we'll also talk a little bit about a mock, and we'll get into uh, 10 years ago, the 2007 draft. Before we move on to that stuff, though, we want to take a second to tell you about the StatCast podcast, a show dedicated to the analytics that drive front office decisions in the modern game. It's hosted by Mike Petriello and Matt Myers, and last week they explained why power hitters like J.D. Martinez and Miguel Cabrera might not be the best fit for the Tigers' offense, and then revealed a strange trend spreading through the Dodgers' bullpen. If that's something you want to hear about, you can download the show on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching for StatCast Podcast or by going to www.statcastpodcast.com. All right, I mentioned 2007, and Jim, you have a story on the site kind of redrafting the 2007 draft, and 
Let's take a look at that. Uh, the Rays had the number one pick back in 2007, and they did pretty well. They took David Price, who obviously eventually uh, led them to a World Series appearance before they ended up trading him away and getting some more pieces, as the Rays tend to do. Um, he would still be a high draft pick, obviously, looking back 10 years later. But you don't. You wouldn't have taken him number one now. Looking back, you think the Rays would have gone a different direction with another ace pitcher. I do. I mean, it, you could certainly make a case to just go with what they had. You know, David Price has had a very nice career. He's won a Cy Young Award. He was part of all four playoff teams in Rays history. Uh, you know, he helped to make the 2008 World Series year after he was drafted. But looking at it and you know, mulling this a little bit. I think you'd have to go with Madison Bumgarner over David Price. I mean, Price has probably accomplished a little bit more at the major league level you know, in terms of regular season, but Bumgarner's three years younger. I think he'll eventually, when all is said and done, his, his regular season career will be a little bit better than Price's. But, but uh, to me, the postseason is what clinched it. You know, Price has not been very good in the postseason, you know, outside of, of striking out J.D. Drew uh, in the ALCS in 2008. I mean, he, he struggled. And Madison Bumgarner has been one of the best postseason pitchers in recent memory, and not single-handedly, but but close to single-handedly, was responsible for the 2014 World Series title and part of two other World Series titles. You know, pitched a you know long scoreless start against the Rangers in the World Series when they won in 2010. So, so for me, that would be the tiebreaker. I don't know what, what you think, Jonathan, if you want to uh, chime in, but like to me, I, I would take Madison Bumgarner's career to this date and, and how I think it'll go going forward over David Price. It would be a close call, but i take Bumgarner. You do have Price yeah, going. Oh, so go ahead. Go ahead, Jonathan. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think I would. I, I probably would take Bumgarner, but not by, I mean, a lot of times, and I love when Jim does these stories. It's actually one of my my favorite sort of recurring things over the last, you know, uh, few years uh, of him redoing these drafts. And sometimes it's, like, obvious. Uh, and it's like, oh, of course you're going to take this guy. In this case, I think you could make an argument either way, especially for what Price meant to the organization. But, uh, you know, that, that's about it. I think uh, using good old hindsight um, that uh, Bumgarner gets the, the, the slight edge, especially since, uh, you know, maybe if he went back in time, you can make sure he didn't get on a uh, bike. <laughs> and then uh, Price, uh, according to Jim, number two was the Royals. They ended up taking Mike Moustakis. Uh, back in 2007, who was obviously part of two World Series teams, including a championship team. So they don't have a lot of regret there. But, Jim, in a redraft situation, you have Price going there, and you wonder what that staff would have looked like with the, an ace like that, uh, as opposed to you know the Royals when they went to those postseasons. Really didn't necessarily have that ace, but Moustakis was a big part of it. I think things get interesting on the hitting side, though, because, uh, Jim, you have the Cubs taking Josh Donaldson number three uh and he ended up being a supplemental first round pick as a catcher to the uh to the cubs later uh but donaldson's interesting because he wasn't this guy that was a big prospect that flew through the minors and has had a long career in the majors so far it took him a while and if we had done this just a few years ago it might have been different oh yeah i mean if we'd done this in in 2012 i mean i don't think josh donaldson even makes a list um, but he's been one of the best players of baseball, maybe the best outside of Mike Trout uh, since you know 2013 going forward. But you know it's interesting. You know, he was kind of an offensive-minded catcher at Auburn. He he didn't hit in low class A in his first full pro season, and they they threw him into the well, not threw him in. They wanted him, but they put him in the trade for Rich Harden, and it still took uh, about another five years before he really hit his stride at the major league level. I, you know it's interesting when you do, you do these things and go back. 
uh, you know, one only I think only six uh, first rounders, uh, actual first rounders made my retro first rounders, which shows you how uh, uh, how that um, you know how it panned out. The teams didn't necessarily you know, identify those players, and then you talk about position guys. You know, they're the best for guys. You know, none of them, these guys were really first-round picks. You know, Josh Donaldson was a supplemental first-rounder. Gene Carlos Stanton uh, had not had a good showcase circuit, and he was kind of a football guy. He was a second-rounder. Freddie Freeman was a second-rounder, who, who some guys liked uh, as a pitcher. Anthony Rizzo was a sixth-rounder. Uh, those are, your, your, to me, your four clear best position players, and none of them went in the first round. Uh, Jonathan, how about just the the power that ended up coming out of this draft? When you talk about Donaldson and Stanton and Freddie Freeman uh, and Rizzo, um, we thought Hayward would eventually get to the power. That hasn't really come. But but some impressive power that, when you look back, could have gone in those first five, six picks, ended up being some second-rounders. Hayward, as Jim said, in the sixth round. Donaldson, a supplemental first-rounder. But that's some big-time power in one draft. Oh, without question. And, you know, one of the things that's fun about this is you, you look through every draft. And when we talk to scouts leading into any draft, and they'll complain about the, the relative weakness of it, and then invariably a couple will say, well, well there's always big leaguers and all-stars from, from all of them. Sometimes you just don't know where they're going to come from necessarily. And uh, I, I think, you know, the fact that the, re, the redo of, of the first round of 2007 is full of guys from the second round and beyond – uh, I think speaks to that a lot. Yeah, it certainly does. I and mean, how about when you look at this, Jim, and, and uh, the the picks that did happen in this draft? Was there a was there one that kind of stood out as wow, that team probably really regrets that as as just a, ended up being a poor choice? Well, I mean, I, I think you probably look at the Pirates. I mean, they took a lot of heat for taking Daniel Moscos four and passing on Matt Weeders at five. Um, you know, that's probably the most infamous pick. You know, I was just going to pick up uh, on what Jonathan was saying there uh, about how kind of the uncertainty of the draft. You know, I think people, when fans think about a first-round pick, they think, okay, you know, you're getting a potential superstar. And that's the hope. But, you know, having done years of covering the draft and draft research, typically in a normal draft, you might have five or six guys you would describe as stars or superstars. And then you might have another couple dozen players, you know, if you're lucky, who are, are solid big leaguers, who are in a lineup or rotation or a late-inning reliever for a number of years. And the rest of the guys are, are like complimentary guys and cup of coffee guys. So it's, while it seems crazy, you know, 1,200 guys will get drafted this year, a little bit more than 1,200, that you might only have 30 guys who are really you know, good players for a period of time, a long period of time. You, you look at the list, and I'm not maligning these guys, but you look at the last six guys – on my on my retro draft, you know these were these were the best picks that could have been made, and it's Stephen Vogt, you know who was a 12th rounder uh, out of Azusa Pacific, Josh Kalmenter was a 15th rounder out of Central Michigan, Stephen Souza was a high school third baseman taking the third round, uh, Nate Jones who was a fifth rounder out of Northern Kentucky, uh, Sean Doolittle who who was a supplemental first round pick but as a first baseman, and Tommy Hunter who was a supplemental first round pick. I mean those guys are are, are decent, you know complimentary guys but those guys if you're redrafting it based on talent those guys would be first round picks and i just think it goes to show you uh uh how thin the, the draft really is in terms of, of really high quality players 
Yeah, it certainly is. And and definitely check out that, that whole list and the article as well. All right, back to the present and back to the 2017 draft. And there's a lot of top 50 guys as far as your list that are still playing baseball right now. And that's always one of the fun things, I think, about the MLB draft is that with the college uh, Super Regionals and World Series going on, these guys are, are playing baseball and then kind of also checking out what's going on with their futures. But when you look at your top 50, all sorts of guys in Super Regionals coming up this weekend, right at the top, Brendan McKay, Louisville, Kyle Riding, Jaron Kendall of Vanderbilt, uh, Alex Fiedo of Florida, Jake Berger, Oregon State, the number one team in the country, Evan White at Kentucky, Alex Lang, LSU. Uh, you got Martin at Texas A&M, Scoog, TCU, Rooker at Mississippi State. A lot of guys, and there's more than that. Um, but we have to cut that list off at some point. Um, so they're going to be on the I field. I want you to keep going, Tim. You don't have to <laughs> I keep ran out. Going. Uh, we're, they're going to be on the field this weekend uh, playing in games, either pitching or, or getting key at-bats. Jonathan, can they help themselves at this point or hurt themselves with one last performance? You know, I think well, it's limited. Well, I'm, 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 yes, I'm. It wasn't a sigh. It was more uh, a contemplative breath. I was, just, you know, I'm choosing my words carefully. I'm not sure why, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it could have that much of an impact. Uh, now, if a guy, if you're a team and you're on the fence between a couple of guys, and one of the guys you're considering goes out and gives up. 12 earned runs in a third of an inning. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you can't help but have that be, you know, impactful. Uh, the guys making the decisions are human, uh, but they have to try to rely on the track record and the, and the you know, stores of information they have on, on each guy and not make a decision based on one uh, poor uh, game or outing or whatever it is. Um, I think that uh, in, in addition uh, there's a difference between, you know, if they perform poorly in the in our conference tournament, I think that has a larger impact. And even in a regional, it has a larger impact. By the time the Super Regional, the Super Regional, they're scouted, but, you know, all the decision makers are in their, in their draft rooms this weekend. So they're not going out to see these guys in person. So they'll take the information, but I think the, the impact is limited as a result. Jim, I would think that you could maybe hurt yourself more than you can help yourself. I mean, these guys are obviously highly um, thought of players, so if they go out and perform great, I would think teams just say, well, that's what we thought he would do. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what Jonathan said. I mean, you, you can really, like, one of the, the bigger insults you can you can throw at a scout is to call him a performance scout. Um, but, yeah, you know, performances do matter a little. You know, J.B. Bukoskis, North Carolina, may fall out of the top ten now after not pitching well in NCAA regional last week. But, I mean, barring – I mean, the only real thing that's going to change stuff drastically is if somebody got hurt, which obviously you don't want to see. But like Jonathan said, I mean, you've done, you know, uh, on the college guys, I mean, you probably have a, a four or five tra- you know, year track record on these guys, on the high school guys, at least a couple of years. And your process, to me, it's not a good process if one bad game or one even good game uh, – you know, sways, you know, years of data and observation. So, yeah, I think it's more you're monitoring guys just to make sure nothing, you know, you don't see some pitcher grab his elbow or something. Um, but, like, I really doubt that, say, 
the Twins, who are picking 1-1, if they're picks between Wright and McKay, and I think they like McKay you know, more as a pitcher, I don't think the Twins are going to be tuned in to watch their two starts. And, like, whoever pitches better, that's the guy we're taking at 1-1. And it's more, uh, you know, interesting. But, you know, they're like, even if, you know, let's say Jaron Kendall, who you guys know I'm higher, a little higher on than the industry, even if Jaron Kendall goes out and hits three home runs in a game, it's not going to change much for anybody. All right, one last mock for you guys. And I know, Jim, you have an official mock coming out on Friday, I think, on Pipeline.com. And then you guys will have your uh, last-second predictions coming up on Monday before you go live on MLB Network. Uh, well, we got our covered. Sunday night one, too. So we, we, we have two mocks after this one, too. Oh, oh, and a lot. Uh, I don't know what changes from Sunday and Monday, but I know last year a lot did in your guys' mind. So it's always moving. So let's go top five picks uh, one last time here as far as the podcast goes, uh, and I'll hold this t- you to this for the next two days until the uh, the next pod- the next mock <laughs> comes out. But, Jim, I'll let you go first since you have the official mock on the site this week. Who do you have number one? Well, as we speak, I've not officially written the mock, so I, I reserve the right that if late-breaking intel comes oh, in, then I might change come it. come on. No, Stop I'm not, that no, nonsense. I'm going to put in. I'm just saying that if you read, you read the story and it's different than what I say right here, it means I got additional information. I think it's Kyle it means you're I don't flip, think It means you're a flip-flopper is what it means. No, I'm not flip-flopping. It just means that I'm a hard-working reporter seeking truth, justice in the American way. But, uh, no, I, I think it's Kyle Wright. I don't think it's a lock by any means. I think the decision comes down to Wright and McKay, and I think it's Kyle Wright. And I and I mean, look, I, I could see either of those guys as the number one overall pick. I think Wright gives you the best combination of, of ceiling and floor of the guys under consideration. So, so he would make a lot of sense. I, I think it's Kyle Wright. Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, I have Kyle Wright, and uh, and I'm going to guess that Jim, you still have Hunter Green at number two, uh, because everything that I've heard and been told. Uh, and uh, had been that if Twins don't take Hunter Green, the Reds will happily do so. Yeah, and I I keep saying that that's, I think, as much as any of these things is a lock, I think that's the biggest lock at the top of the draft is Hunter Green goes two to the Reds. If Hunter Green goes one, then I think you'll see Brendan McKay as the number two overall pick as a pitcher. All right, so we're going to do the Serpentine style just because Jim loves that. Uh, But I'm going to just put Hunter Green for both of you at number two because that sounds like... Where you're heading, and which means we're just going to agree with each other on every pick. It'll be you might, well, that's riveting. Fine. So we're back to you, Jim, at number three. <laughs> number three, uh, you know, there, there's a couple names bandied about. I think it's going to be Mackenzie Gore, the North Carolina lefty, as you guys both. You may have heard this, but I would take him personally, number one overall, if I were making the pick. Really? I don't know if you've you never that. brought that up before. No, I know. It, it's like, well, yeah, I have to mention this every podcast and every time, like we're on MLB Network. But uh, I think when I, you're on TV, it should say Jim Callis, and then underneath it should say loves Mackenzie Gore. That should be your tagline. That's fine. I'll probably do that. But uh, uh-huh. I think it's Mackenzie Gore. I think Royce Lewis is in the running. And I think if, if the first two picks are right and uh, right and green, that Brendan McKay would be in the running too. But I, I think it's Mackenzie Gore. Again, not a lock. Um, but, but, you know, and there's also buzz with a lot of these teams that they could cut a deal with somebody and move him up a little bit. Jonathan, number three, and then you can give me your number four also. Right. I, uh, so I – I had Lewis at number three, um, but I uh, I do agree with with what Jim said. I you know it could go either way. And uh, when I was doing my mock last week, I kind of went back and forth with Lewis and Gore. Um, you know, going with the right green one two paradigm. I uh, I kind of figured it was going to be one of those two high schoolers. So uh, I went with Lewis three, and then Brendan McKay 
four uh, to the Rays, and uh, Jim in a recent draft buzz wrote, uh, you know, reported that the the Rays are leaning towards sending McKay out as a hitter, uh, not as a pitcher. So that's the one slight change. But uh, I had McKay in it at four, and I'll even finish up because obviously, if I put Lewis three, then I got Mackenzie Gore at five. All right, how about four and five for you, Jim, to wrap things up? McKay, I think McKay is the Rays' top choice. So I think any scenario where McKay's on the board, the, the Rays are taking him. And as Johnson so you're noted, saying I, if the Rays were picking one, they would go with I McKay? Believe they, I believe they would take Brendan McKay okay. at one. Um, just like I think the Reds would take Green, Hunter Green at one. So I think McKay goes there. If, if McKay were to go one, I don't think it's a slam dunk that the Rays would take Kyle Wright. They've been attached to any number of outfielders. You know, the, the Braves is just an extremely – Volatile pick. Um, I think the Braves would love to get Kyle Wright. I think that would be their number one pick. I, you know, and he could get to him if he doesn't go one. There's a chance he could get to five. But if if it unfolds like Jonathan and I both think, and Wright goes at one, I think the Braves pick is more up in the air than any of these. You hear Royce Lewis there. I'm not really convinced they're taking Royce Lewis. Um, I've heard Adam Hazley there. That's a possibility. I've heard that they might try to cut a deal with somebody like Austin Beck or Nick Prado. You know, Jonathan, you, you reported that, I think, almost a month ago, and then that's not going away. And, you know, Shane Baz, it's, Shane Baz is, is going to go higher, I guess, than we probably think. I just don't know where. And he could get paid very handsomely, and we know the Braves like high school pitching. So I've heard some, some Shane Baz to Atlanta and maybe even the Padres. But the Braves – you know, I'll put. I have not formulated in my mind who I have them taking. My best guess right now is I'm. I might go Austin Beck. Okay, so you guys were a little different. A little bit. Very good. That makes for an interesting draft night when you guys disagree. And I know that uh, they'll be making sure that you give your play-by-play throughout that first round on MLB <laughs> Network and who's leading the way in your little. Uh, competition between the two of you. All right, thanks for doing that one last mock draft, guys. I know we've done a lot of them. The draft is set for Monday through Wednesday. Pre-game show, 6 p.m. Eastern time. The draft starts at 7 on Monday. On Tuesday, it'll be the three of us, along with Jim Duquette and Scott Braun, with rounds 3 through 10. That starts with a preview show at 12.30 and round 3 at 1. Then Wednesday, it's rounds through 11 through 40, lightning round style. That starts up at noon Eastern. That'll be the three of us as well. We'll take a full look back at that draft on the podcast next week. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.